listening to the official podcast of the Mission Redlands. We are a growing community living out God's radical love. Amen. Amen. Thank you, worship team, for leading us so well. Um, man, well, I'm Pastor Jason, if you don't know, and man, I'm, I'm so glad to see you guys this morning. Just love seeing your face, except maybe Ricardo. Um, <laughs> but uh, just love you guys. So honored that you would join us and be a part of our family this morning. Um, and just real quick before I dive into our, our teaching this morning, uh, I just want to, I don't think she's in here, but Adrienne Ashley worked her butt off to bring Christmas in this sanctuary. So, so can we just give it up for her? So she'll hear it on the podcast probably. I don't know. I'm just kidding. But, um. Man, and if you, and one more thing, if you get a chance today, my friends Kevin and Beth Pringle are here with us this morning just hanging out, and so get a chance, corner these guys and talk to them and ask them some really difficult questions, because they are always asking me difficult questions, so I'm just kidding, but get a chance to talk to these guys. These guys are so life-giving and just love Jesus, and they're doing some amazing things, and I'm sure they would love to meet you, Um, but uh, yeah, so whether you love Christmas or you can't stand it, one fact remains. The season has arrived, right? It's here, right? It's not practically here anymore like the Grinch says. It's practically here. No, it's here. The season has arrived, right? And, and, uh, and I actually think Costco thought it arrived in the middle of October, which was kind of weird. Like, there were like Halloween costumes and Christmas trees right next to each other, which was making me very confused. But I have to admit... I totally, totally, I'm a Christmas cheese ball. Like, I love Christmas. I am so excited about Christmas. I love singing the songs, you know, like the ones we sang today. I love all the Christmas hymns. I love Christmas music. Um, I'm convinced that the greatest Christmas album ever, ever, ever made was the Charlie Brown Christmas soundtrack, right? Seriously? And so, like, I love the Charlie Brown Christmas special. I love the film. I love, um, I, uh, I love it when Linus reads from the book of Luke. And, and, you know, that's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. And I just love that. And to me, it's not Christmas until I've heard that soundtrack, right, at least 50 times. And I think it's the greatest Christmas album ever. And my wife does not agree. But, um, but... For me, it's just not Christmas until, until it's not Christmas without it. And I also love traditions. I'm a, I'm a sentimental guy, so I love traditions. And, and uh, there are so many traditions that are a part of this season. And we actually have a long-standing tradition here at the mission as well, is after the Christmas Eve service, we always all go to In-N-Out for, for dinner usually, cause, right? Because uh, Christmas, Christmas Eve is usually an evening service, but this year it's, it's on a Sunday. So like make lunch plans 
to go to In-N-Out with us on Christmas Eve. We always take like a big old silly picture with us, some people wearing the hats and stuff. And it's so much fun. And, and I just look forward to that all year long. And, um, and so another thing I love about Christmas is that people generally seem more open to helping those in need. I really love that. It feels like brotherly love and goodwill towards men are actually a thing during this season, right? And, uh, <laughs> and everywhere except for the 91 freeway, of course, because that's every man for himself, right? And, and may the odds ever be in your favor. Um, honestly, I could go on and on and on about all the different things I love about this season, but when it comes right down to it, the reason we celebrate is because a king was born. A king was born, right? And um, unlike any other king, a king that would ignite a flame of hope for all mankind, right? In an incredibly hopeless time, and the king was named Jesus. That's right. I wasn't very convincing. The king's name was Jesus. Je- there we go. There we go. Uh, we're at the beginning of a new teaching series just kicking off today, this week, and we've named it Humble King. Humble King, and, which if you know anything about history, that kind of sounds like an oxymoron. Like those two words do not go together, right? Humble King. Uh, many of the kings throughout history were famous for their, their kind of self-indulgent lifestyle at the cost of everyone else around them. For instance, Alexander the Great, the ancient Greek king, named more than 70 cities after himself. And one city, this is not a joke, one city after his horse. Which was really weird because the horse's name was Roger. <laughs> I just made that up. (laughs) And when Alexander the Great died, his remains were preserved in a vat of honey, which totally reeks of humility, right? That just reeks of humility. Uh, The famous king of England, Henry VIII, uh, was also not known for his humble behavior. (laughs) Not only did he famously declare himself the head, the supreme head, actually, of the Church of England, he declared himself the supreme head of the Church of England. Not only did he do that, but he was actually one of the originators of what we now know as online dating, believe it or not. Um, when he was choosing, when he, no, seriously, when he was choosing his fourth wife, right? When he was choosing his fourth wife, he had paintings sent from all over to himself of potential partners that he could marry, right? And, and like, really? Like, this is true. This is true. And so he, paintings, not like a photograph, because they didn't have cameras back then. Like, think about how long that took, right? And, and so he had paintings from all over sent to him of potential partners. And, and he had, uh, after agreeing to marry one of the ladies in the paintings, he, uh, he had the marriage annulled after six months. Uh, King Her- Henry apparently was disappointed with the way she looked in person. He, he, he called her a fat Flanders mare. Right? 
not cool. Not cool. I, a little funny, but not cool. And, and he also had, uh, he had the chief minister who set them up um, beheaded because of it. Beheaded. Obviously, this guy was the picture of humility, right? <laughs> like, like, uh, Julius Caesar... Julius Caesar was the leader of the Roman Empire, right? And, and as history tells us, he dis- uh, when he discovered giraffes, he, uh, he, he named them camelopards. Camelopards, yeah. Camelopards? Yeah, camelopards. I, I just love to say that word. He, he did this because they reminded him of a cross between camels and leopards. <laughs> Duh, right? Which has absolutely nothing to do with what we're talking about today, but I thought it was hysterical, right? <laughs> leopards. Say it once and you'll have trouble stopping. It's, it, it, it's, it's fun to say. Uh, Genghis Khan was the supreme king of the Mongols and also not known for his humility, right? Genghis Khan uh, believed that a man could be measured by the number of children he fathered. And his harem included thousands of women, and he had children with many of them. Actually, Genghis Khan, uh, he believed that, uh, he's believed to have fathered between one to 2,000 children. One to 2,000. I have two. And I'm, I, I'm like basically a lunatic at this point. So um, one to 2,000 children. And because of that fact, geneticists, get this, because of that fact, geneticists have found that roughly 8% of men in Asia carry his genetic legacy in their Y chromosome. Now, to put that in perspective, there are roughly 4.5 billion people in Asia. There's only 1 billion people in both Americas, about 1 billion. 4.5 billion, 8% of that carry his genetic legacy of of the men in Asia. So so sorry to state the obvious, but Genghis Khan, he liked to get busy. (laughs) He, He just liked to get busy. And... I mean, one to 2,000 kids. Can you imagine the diaper-changing situation with that? Seriously, like, I, I don't even want to know what his castle smelled like because they did not have Febreze back then, right? And he thought that the number of children you had was the measure of a man. So you, you got to know that he felt like he measured up just fine, Right? And these are the stories. These are like outlandish, crazy stories, but they're real. And these are the stories you come across when you research famous kings of the past. See, and it's really not surprising because think about it. A king has no one they answer to. They, they can make a decision without being questioned. They can make up laws on a whim, and everybody in their kingdom has to obey them immediately, right? Like, like if there's any person on earth who isn't required to be humble, it's a king. It's a king. And yet, the one who would later be called the king of kings would be the absolute definition of humility. 
as we journey towards Christmas over the next few weeks, we will explore the wonder of the humble king, King Jesus. Because the mystery of Christmas resides within this manifold king. Manifold is not a word we use every day, but in its root form, it means many, numerous, abundant. Manifold means having many different forms or elements. And Psalm 104.24 says this, O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. And when I reflect on our last teaching series um, and some of the things we discussed, manifold would have been a perfect word to use. It totally encapsulates the numerous dynamics that are in play when we talk uh, about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And, and in the book of Philippians, the Apostle Paul is writing to the Philippian church to remind them of the example set by the humble king we serve. And would you open your Bibles to Philippians if you have them with you, or it'll be on the screen. So Paul, as, as you turn there, I'm just going to give you a little bit of setup. Paul is writing this letter, and uh, we're about to read a small piece of this letter. Uh, he's writing it to the church in Philippi because there were people spreading false teachings among them. Uh, Paul's opponents had sought to discredit him as a teacher because he was actually in, in prison at the moment. But the reason why he was in prison was for preaching and teaching the gospel, and the purpose of this letter is to not only discredit the false teachings, but almost just as much to affirm what the Philippian church already knew to be true about Jesus. And Paul's imprisonment was for Christ and for Christ alone. And, and that fact was widely known through the imperial guard and, 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 and many others too. And Paul encourages the Philippian people not to discount his suffering his, his current suffering and his circumstances because he knew he, had a, it, he knew it had a purpose, right? He knew the suffering had a purpose. And in chapter 1, verses 18 through 21, uh, just real briefly, it says, Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that though through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Added, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether my, by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And later on, Paul says in verses 29 and 30, he says, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, in, in, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. So not only does Paul call the Philippian people to not discount his current suffering, but he also calls them to not discount their own suffering as well. And, and he's, he's calling them to look at the big picture 
and unite under Christ's love and humility. And he's, he goes on in chapter 2 to describe Christ's love uh, because he knew that probably what he was discovering wasn't a wasn't like a barrel of laughs sound like a barrel of laughs to them <laughs> like they were it didn't sound very good and so he goes on to describe this love and so he he encourages them in Christ by breaking down the example of Christ's humility and in verse uh, chapter two verses one through nine he goes he goes like this so. If there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves." Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen? Amen. Boom. So good, right? That's just so good. And I, I could just stop there, I feel like. That's, that's just so good. Uh, but I'm not going to. Um, Paul starts out with that big word, if, in verse 1. There's a, there's, a big, there's a big if, and maybe it's never caught your eye, but so, it, it says in verse 1, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort in love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. Paul isn't questioning if these things are a reality for those who are in Christ. He is asking the Philippian church to reflect on whether there is evidence of these things within the lives of the believers in their community. I think Paul already knows the answer to that, which is why in the next breath, he calls them to complete his joy by being unified and like-minded and continuing to progress in the critical area of loving each other and serving each other. In verses 3 and 4 are, are, are kind of interesting to me. Paul says in verse 3, Do nothing, nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Paul is directly addressing his opponents here because they definitely, definitely had their own agenda. They had their own agenda and, and their own ambitions causing discord within the church. Uh, does that sound familiar to anybody? 
Like, have you ever met someone who definitely had their own agenda in the church and there was discord because of it? Like, I know for sure I have experienced that. And, and it's so easy to become like Paul's opponent. It's so easy to become like Paul's opponent, taking what Jesus has said and done and twisting it just enough to fit our own agenda. That word conceit is another word that we don't use very often, but it means excessive pride. Excessive pride. So if we are supposed to do nothing in selfish ambition or excessive pride, what, what are we supposed to do? How do we combat those things? And again, almost like he's telepathic or something, uh, Paul answers the question in the next breath. He co- we combat selfish ambition and excessive pride by pushing ourselves to walk in humility, counting others more significant than ourselves, like it says in verse 3 and 4. This is humility. This is radical love in action, Mission Church. Are you with me? We're a growing community living out God's radical love. This is radical love. And it's the, this is the picture of our humble king. This is the picture of our humble king. And, and verses 5 through 11 are often referred to as the hymn of Christ because of their poetic nature. And it, it, it's also, though, it's also a snapshot of the totality of Christ's, um, the totality of Christ's service, uh, his preexistence, his incarnation, his death and resurrection, and his ascension to the right hand of the Father. Verse 5 starts with, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. This mindset that we're talking about, putting others before yourself and doing nothing in selfish ambition and conceit, uh, extreme pride. This mindset can only truly be yours because of the work of Jesus. It, it, It is the evidence of Christ working in you. And without it, we will always be selfish, prideful creatures. This reminds me of Psalm 16, verse 2, where it says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. Too many times I have been able to convince myself that I am worthy apart from Christ. Anybody else ever been able to do that? But the truth is that Jesus is the only reason why I am worth anything. And I am worth a lot to him, just like all believers are, because he is the one who gives us our worth. And if you're not a believer, Jesus wants to do that for you too. He wanted it so much that though he was in the form of God, think about that, the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That word form, 
the form of God and the form of a servant, that word strikes me. Uh, Think about it. This verse is saying that Jesus was in the form of God, yet emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. The king came off the throne and became a servant. What a contrast, right? What a contrast. Jesus was God. Colossians 1.15 says about Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Jesus humbled himself by coming off of his throne and becoming human. That made him the visible expression of God's invisible glory. I'm going to say that again. Coming off the throne and becoming human made Jesus the visual express, the visible expression of God's invisible glory. Verse 8 says it. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. I feel like that word humbled is, is the wrong word when you're referring to death on a cross. Because in no way, shape, or form was dying on a cross convenient. It was pure humiliation. It was the ultimate indignity. It was Rome's way of saying publicly that this person is the lowest of the low. And though it was, ult- the, and though it was the ultimate indignity, it was also the ultimate counterpoint from where Jesus had come from the divine majesty of his pre-existence as God. Somehow, I don't see any of the kings we talked about earlier doing that. I mean, Henry VIII couldn't even get his butt off his throne to go meet a girl, right? (laughs) Much less die for the people in his care, right? And yet, on a whole other level, that's exactly what Jesus did for us. In verse 9 through 11, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Did you know there's an under the earth? They're going to bow to him there too. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The glory of God the Father. What a king. What a savior. What a friend. See, sometimes we can look at Jesus' earthly existence through the bookends of his life and his death. But the truth is that both of the bookends of Jesus' earthly existence are life. It didn't go, it didn't stop at death. Death was not the end. The bookends of Jesus' earthly existence are both life. His birth, that is the reason why we celebrate Christmas. And his victory over the grave by his resurrection. He went from glory to glory, but he journeyed through hell. 
And we're going to give honor to him today by taking communion together, remembering our humble king. So as the worship team comes, we are going to take this time and remember our humble king. And the road traveled between the bookends of life and Jesus' earthly existence. If there is anyone who is not required to be humble, it's a king. And yet Jesus, the Son of God, is the picture of a king who walked with the Father in complete humility. The king that, as 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. And as the saying goes, that's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. Right? Right? So we're going to move into a time of communion now. And you, you do not have to be a member of this church to take communion with us. All you have to be is a member of the family of God. And so we want to invite you to take communion with us now and remind yourself of this humble king. What he did on the cross. What the action of coming off of his throne and becoming a servant. So, as the music plays, I want you to just take a few moments. Ready your heart. Prepare your heart to take communion. Spend some time in prayer. If there's somebody that you're comfortable with near you, pray with them. If you want to pray uh, by yourself, do it. Do not just check out during this time. This is a sacred moment that Jesus asked us to continually remember him every time we break the bread and drink the cup. And so, as the music plays and you feel ready, you feel like your heart is prepared. We want you to just come forward and grab a cup and a piece of bread and take it back to your seat and really savor the moment. Savor this moment with Christ. And in a little bit, we will sing one more song before we go today, but this humble king that we celebrate He's, he's the only reason why we are worth anything. Our, our worth is derived from him. And so we remember him now. So I just want to read this scripture, and then we're going to open the time up for communion. That the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took the bread... And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup 
is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. And so, Father God, we, we do as you ask, Lord. We will proclaim that your sacrifice and service on the cross is the only reason why we are worth anything. Your blood that was shed, your body that was broken. You didn't have to do it, but you did. We gave you no reason to do it, but you did. For each one of us, we adore you, Father. We thank you for your service. We thank you that you are a king unlike any other. You are both Savior and friend. And we love you. We remember you now. So as you feel led, come forward and uh, partake in communion. podcast of the Mission Redlands. For more information, visit us at themissionredlands.com.